Well, good morning. It's wonderful to be with you again. Uh, people are saying, hmm, your face is familiar. That's because I actually did a platform here before uh, when Richard Nugent was serving you as an interim. So June is one of my favorite months of the year because it's warm and I love hot weather. School's out and families are planning their vacations and everybody seems to be happy. And it's general assembly for Unitarian Universalist communities to come together and do the business of the association. And I get to see my friends who live all over the world. And it's Pride Month. Happy Pride. Is anybody excited about Pride? I know I am. Pride means so many different things to different people in the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender and ally communities. And for me, the experience has changed over the years. I came to DC 20 years ago because of its black, gay, and lesbian community. I wanted to be out and proud. I decided I needed a large city without same gender loving people, a city with a large black professional population and a vibrant community where two of the many identities that I carry intersect. Note, I did not say gay, lesbian, I'm, and bisexual and transgender community because I didn't know about the bi and trans community back then. Sure, I had bisexual and transgender friends, but they came into a, a lesbian world which I orbited and not vice versa. Today, I am happy to say that this has changed and I love diving into the bisexual and transgender worlds when invited. And I am thrilled that my bi and trans friends have a community that they call their own. So pride for me was the ability to go out into the streets of DC and even though it was only for, for a few days and nights of the year, be free from oppression and hate and just be me. It was exhilarating and empowering. But the feeling did not last and I would go back into the closet for the remainder of the year. Homophobia and heterosexism was too big a force for me to fight. Keith Boykin writes in his book, One More River to Cross, Traveling in a direct path from Cairo, Egypt, at the northern end of Africa, a thousand miles south to Khartoum, the capital of Sudan, it is possible to cross the Nile River four times. The river then snakes along various paths into Ethiopia and Uganda, stretching out for another 3,000 miles. To some, these may seem to be different rivers. Instead, they are all a part of the same waterway, the world's longest river, the Nile. Traveling through human history, from the earliest tribal and ethnic warfare to the present, it is possible to cross a river many times. From the ethnocentrism of nationalism to the anti-Semitism of the acquisition, to the racism of American slavery, the rivers break off into the tributaries of sexism, xenophobia, and homophobia. 
Some imagine these currents to be separate bodies of water, but they are all the same. They are all a part of the river called Prejudiced. Like the Nile, it is deceptive, taking on many different shapes, and it naturally appears different at various places along its vast existence. At some points, it is deep and wide and forbidding, while at other points, it is not as intimidating. But all of us, black and white, straight and gay, must cross this river to survive. If the current trends continue, homophobia will not be the last acceptable prejudice, but rather the most currently acceptable one. And even in this dubious distinction is being challenged by the resurgence of open racism, xenophobia, and anti-Semitism. The words of the Negro spiritual called One More River do not necessarily say that the river to be crossed will be the last river to be crossed. Instead, they suggest that the river may be merely the next in the series of rivers to cross. Whether homophobia becomes the last river or not, or just one more river, depends on all of us. So I decided to do my part to fight homophobia. And slowly, I came out more and more. On my job, in my religious community, in my neighborhood where I shopped, to my extended family, and now the only coming out that I do is to new people who enter my life because I'm out in all other areas. Harvey Milk said, gay brothers and sisters, you must come out, come out to your parents. I know it is hard and will hurt them, but think about how they will hurt you in the voting booth. Come out to your relatives, come out to your friends. If indeed they are your friends, come out to your neighbors, to your fellow workers, to the people who you, where you eat and shop, come out to only to the people that you know and who know you, not anyone else. But once and for all, break down the myths, destroy the lies and distortions for your sake, for their sake, for the sake of the youngsters. I believe, as Harvey Milk did, that one of the best ways to fight homophobia is by coming out and the gay and lesbian, bi, transgender leadership today agree. As I watched Milk, the new movie, capturing some of the life of Harvey Milk, I was struck by how the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender movement has forgotten its own history and what lessons that are there can be useful to us still. Have people seen the new Milk movie? Okay, for those that haven't, I'll try not to spoil it for you. Harvey Milk was a brilliant organizer. He helped the LGBT community in San Francisco become a political force and a constituency. Hate crimes and police harassment in the emerging 
post-Stornwell liberation movement stirred Harvey Milk to run for office. Milk became elected to represent the interest of the LGBT community and to be a gay role model for the nation. Milk said, although I'm not sure whether this is in the movie or not, I got a phone call from Altoona, Pennsylvania, and my election gave somebody else, one more person, hope. And after all, that's what it's all about. It's not about personal gain, not about ego, not about power. It's about giving those young people out there in the Altoona, Pennsylvania's of the world hope. You've got to give them hope. In the movie, I could see Milk's commitment to young people and to the next generation, from generation to generation. I believe it is the responsibility for each generation to build a better world for the next. Harvey Milk was not the first openly gay elected official. He was the fourth or fifth. Today, more than 440 out officials are serving at all levels of government. But five states still have no out elected officials whatsoever. And another 15 have no out state legislators. While that number, 444, may seem impressive, a little perspective is in order. There are more than 500,000 elected officials throughout the United States. 440 to 500,000. Once Milk got elected, he quickly transformed his public image from gay politician to a politician who just happened to be gay and started working on issues that encompassed the needs of all San Francisco's minority populations. He understood the power of coalition building, linking the oppressions of homophobia, racism, and xenophobia. And Milk also did important work with unions. Like the Nile Keith Boykin spoke about, prejudice is prejudiced. It is important as communities work on their rights, they work as hard to defend the rights of others. One of my heroes, Bernard Rustin, said it this way. If we want to do away with injustice to gays, it will not be done because we get rid of the injustice to gays. It will be done because we are forwarding the effort for the elimination of just injustice for all. And we will win the rights for gays or blacks, Hispanics or women within the context of whether we are fighting for all. So when Proposition 6 surfaced in San Francisco in 1978, the LGBT community had many allies already to support their position. The comparison between Proposition 6 in the Milk movie and the recent fight against Proposition 8 today 
has not been lost on anyone. The LGBT movement has forgotten its fundamental understanding of how important coalition building and stepping up and being an ally to other historical marginalized communities are. It's important. In fact, it's crucial to the success of the LGBT movement. We cannot be absent in the fight for the elimination of injustices for others and then expect people to show up in our struggle. I see this trend over and over again in the LGBT movement, an assumption that our fight demands others to stand with us, and we get upset when they do, they do not. But we have not done our ally work to deserve their allegiance. How can we expect others to fight for us when we have not fought for them? And how can we expect others to fight for us when many of us are not fighting for our rights? Alice Walker writes, it has become a common feeling, I believe, as we have watched our heroes falling all over the years, that our own small stone of activism, which might not seem to measure up to the rugged boulders of heroism we have so admired, is a paltry offer, offering towards building an edifice of hope. Many who believe this choose to withhold their offering out of shame. This is the tragedy of our world. For we can do nothing substantial towards changing our course on the planet, a destructive one, without arousing ourselves, individual by individual, and bringing our small, imperfect stones to the pile. We must bring our imperfect stones to the pile. We must each participate and do our part towards gaining equality for all persons. This year marks the 40th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots, where gays and lesbians and transgender persons responded to a police raid that re-enkindled the current gay rights movement. So we had Stonewall riots on one end of America and Harvey Milk on the opposite side of our nation that brought everyday citizens into the fight for LGBT rights. Perhaps the fight for marriage equality in DC will spark our local community to action. Amanda, Mary, and I joined over 50 religious leaders on June 2nd to represent to the press a declaration signed by 135 religious leaders in support of marriage equality for same gender loving couples. It was the first time all of us had been brought together on the issue for LGBT rights. Many of us have been doing our part for years, bringing a religious perspective and leadership to the fight. But this was the first time so many of us had been convened. A part of me was saddened that it took this issue to bring us together. 
and another part of me was thankful that the seeds have now been planted to raise our collective voice in the future on many areas of the injustices LGBT people face. We find that most of the resistance to full equality for LGBT people come from a particular religious position that is exclusionary. So it is critical to have religious communities like West that welcome LGBT people and have religious people speak up publicly for LGBT inclusion. I long for a general assembly of sorts that would bring many religious institutions together to fight injustices. Studies have shown that the welcoming process makes meaningful difference in religious communities for LGBT people. Welcoming congregations also tend to be on the front lines for LGBT advocacy, and the studies also show an increase in advocacy in other areas like economic injustice, homelessness, racial justice, and immigration. So what might this look like? You were given an index card and some something to write with. So I'd like you to join me in a short exercise that I have adapted from a friend of mine, um, Janice Marie Johnson, a religious educator in New York. She created this exercise. So on the index card, what I'd like you to do, and if you don't have one, there's, I think, a blank space in the order of service, perhaps, you can write on. I want you to write down one, two, three, four, going down. One, two, three, four. Okay, and beside each number, I'd like you to choose an identity that you carry. Perhaps it is your age, disability or gender, nationality, political view, race, sexual orientation, or theology. So if I chose four, I would put African American, perhaps, lesbian, religious humanist, and I don't know. Minister. Okay, I'll give you a minute or two to write that down. I don't know what it is for you. Um, it will probably, if we actually collected all these cards, it would be different for every person here. People choose differently. Okay, now I'd like you to turn to the person on your right and just, hang on, Say a number from one to four. Just say a number. All right, we'll give you a little longer. Okay. Not the identity, just the number. Okay. Most people are done. Just say to a person next to you, 
Say to your right. I don't know. Let's make it consistent. Right, I know. I mean, find somebody, okay? Just find somebody. <laughs> and say a number. That's all I want you to do is say a number. Just pick, everybody picks a number from one to four. Just pick a number. That's all I want you to do. Okay? All right. Now. 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 The identity that is associated with the number that you heard, I want you to strike out of your index card. I don't want any conversation about it. I just want you to strike it out. Okay? Because that's how it felt to me when I went back into the closet for several days in a year because I could not be one of my identities, okay? And I'm sure for some of you, deleting that identity can be painful. But for some of you, it might be a sense of relief. It might, it might. It really depends on what that identity was, and what you had left in your life, right? Okay, so write that back in, because I know it's hard <laughs> to keep that identity from your life. And shouldn't we be building an ethical society where all of our identities are honored and included? Where everything is possible? And wouldn't it be nice to be measured by the love we leave behind in the world and not the identities that we carry? We all deserve a world filled with hope faith, and love. May each of us do our part to create this world from generation to generation. So may it be, and happy pride.